Lord, make me as happy as the day you saved me. Lord, make me as happy as the day you saved me. I want to put this to you this morning as a prayer. A prayer to pray on this Sunday, Lord, make me as happy as the day you saved me. This is David's prayer in Psalm 51. And I wonder how many of you here this morning can remember the day of your conversion, the day of your salvation, when Jesus washed your sins away, when you were forgiven, when you were cleansed, when you were set free, when you were delivered, and when Christ through his Holy Spirit came into your life. Can you remember the joy of that event? A good friend of mine was at a summer camp when he gave his heart to Jesus. And outside the venue, there was this big rolling green lawn. And he said he ran outside and he just did somersaults and flick flacks. He was so happy. That was the joy of his salvation. Um, some of you have read Pilgrim's Progress. You know that the main character, Christian, as he left the city of destruction, he was carrying a heavy weight upon him. And as he passed through the narrow gate, and then later on he makes his way up the hill, up to the cross of Calvary. And as he is getting close and seeing the cross, and as he looks at the cross, magically the weight that he's carrying and has been carrying all his life just falls away and it rolls down this hill. And Christian is so happy. It says in the text, Christian gave three leaps of joy and he went on his way singing. Can you remember the day and the joy of your salvation? I remember my first birthday party after I gave my heart to Jesus fully and surrendered my life to him. Um, the joy, and I just want to invite as many friends as I could, and I did, and um, I can remember at that party, people coming to me and saying, I've never seen you so joyful, and it wasn't my birthday, it was the fact that I'd had an encounter with Jesus, and he had come into my life, and so there's something special about that, and um, you know, God wants that joy to continue, and this is the important, this is the message I have for you today is that God wants your salvation joy to continue throughout your Christian life. Paul, when he's writing to the Philippians, he says, rejoice in the Lord. What's the next word? Always. In other words, I want this to be your daily experience. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, and again, I say rejoice, as if you didn't get it the first time. And we don't get it the first time. Paul, in, later in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, he says, Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Praise the Lord with all your hearts. And so God wants this something, this, this praise, this joy, this lightness of spirit. He wants it to be something that we don't, not just encountering in a little space of time at church in the worship, but he wants it to be part of your Monday morning. He wants it to be part of your Wednesday night. He wants it to be when you're at work, at college, at school, at home. The Lord wants us to be rejoicing in him always. And again, I say rejoice. 
When your kids are nagging you, rejoice. When your salary gets spent by the third of the month, rejoice. Okay? When someone said something you didn't like about you, rejoice. Okay? So rejoice all the time when that taxi pulls in front of you and then goes through a red light. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Um, And so this is really what we're desiring. Psalm 51 is David's psalm. It's a psalm where David wrote at a specific occasion. After he had committed sin, remember he had committed adultery, he had committed murder, and um, this long period passed when he had no joy, he had lost his joy. And, um, you know, sin can do that to us. And so he goes through this, this period, and then eventually Nathan, God sends Nathan the prophet to come and minister to him and to bring him back into fellowship again. And David writes this psalm, it's his prayer. It's a very, very beautiful, intimate moment between David and God. And isn't it awesome how God has a way of taking someone else's intimate experience and bringing it to us through Scripture so that we can share in that. And that we can learn how God desires us to approach Him. And so... um, Corinth, you want to read the, the scripture, Psalm 51. Uh, we're going to just about two verses I want to focus on, but let's read the whole psalm for context. If you have your Bible, Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Make me your joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me, the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and the whole burnt offering, and then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Thank you. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing, that 
I want you to see is in verse 12, where he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And, you know, when he is speaking this, and I like to reinterpret scripture, the Dimitri version, make me as happy as the day you saved me. That's really what he's saying over here. Make me happy. And so, if you're taking notes, we can lose our salvation joy. And that's the first thing we need to realize about ourselves. We can very easily. How do we lose it? Well, in David's case, it was through sin. It was through compromise. It was through giving too much room to the flesh. The flesh is that part of you that idolizes, that uh, wants to please itself. It's that bodily appetites um, for him that means sexual impurity. Um, for others of us, it, it can be just areas of living by your own resources. Just trying to live out your Christian life in your own strength. It can be very hard to uphold. Um, it can also be for us serving too hard. And, and we do. I've, I've served in ministry for many years, and I know you get to those points where it's, it's just, you, you just feel like you're on the hamster wheel. And, um, you, you know, you, okay, and, and you almost look on a Sunday night and the week is full and suddenly you're not enjoying going to com group anymore. It's just another thing to check off the list. Um, you know, it's this event, it's that event. And sooner or later, and especially as we get close to the end of the year, we're in December, that it, it's just, we find ourselves just eking out in existence. And, um, you know, for those of you, and I really do feel one of my big burdens in any church is for those that are serving hard, who have Monday to Friday jobs, um, those that are studying and serving in ministry, those that are just giving themselves, they've got families. And, and so their time and energy is divided between, you know, my time with God time with my family, my wife, my husband, and serving as much in ministry and still keeping the boss happy, doing the job I'm supposed to be doing. And that's a big pressure. And, you know, when we get close to the end of the year, it's so important to pray, Lord, restore joy in this. Help me to be joyful in this. And I don't know if you like me, but, you know, when I get into December, and the kids were reminding me this morning, it's three weeks to Christmas. Um, you know, when they say that, what they mean is, have you got my Christmas gifts already? That's what they mean. But, um, you, you know, you, your, mind, and, and your mind's telling you, just shut down, shut down, shut down. And, and you know, last week, and I was thinking, it, it, it's just, guys, December the 31st, it's, it, it's like a man-made thing. But it might as well just be any other day of the year, because we think shutdown, and the Lord thinks continue. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And you know what I want to say to you this morning is you, you don't need a holiday to have your joy restored. You don't need, you know, three weeks in Mauritius to have your joy restored. But if you want to give me the ticket, I will accept it, okay? Um, and... And, you, you know, you don't need 
some kind of one-off encounter to have your joy restored. It's, it's, it's really, it's a, a consistent state. Rejoice in the Lord always, okay? Deal with those things that steal away your joy and that rob you. And, um, you, you know, when Cara and I returned to, we lived abroad when we first got married, when we came back, Lord had called us to come to Cape Town and to plant a church in the city. And the first apartment where we lived, we were on the second floor in the city. And we had, and I discovered this a couple of weeks, Mondays into us staying there, is that there was a Christian cleaning lady. And she had a singing voice like a nightingale. And as the stairs went up, the stairwell, the acoustics were beautiful. And so she would start on the bottom floor mopping and washing and cleaning and wiping and sweeping. And she would be singing. The songs would go like right up until our level. And I'd be able to hear her every. So I, I look forward to Monday mornings. And it, it was just beautiful. And then one Monday, the singing abruptly stopped. I didn't know why, and I thought, maybe she's ill, maybe she's not there, and I went out, and I looked down, yes, she was there, but she stopped singing, and uh, okay, waited another week, and the next week, same thing, there she was mopping, but she had stopped singing, eventually, I went to her, and I, I said to her, why aren't you singing? <laughs> we pay for this. <laughs> Why aren't you singing anymore? And she looked at me with red eyes and she said, my husband died. And she was an elderly lady and that death of her loved one had stolen away her songs. And I prayed for her and ministered to her. But, you know, I thought this can happen to us. Life comes in and it steals away our songs. It steals away our joy. And I want to say to you this morning, don't allow it to do that. Don't allow it. You know, David, after the death of his own son, the Bible says he got up, washed himself, and he worshipped. And we should do that. We should let worship punctuate, rejoice in the Lord always, in every circumstance, in every situation. Um, you know, they say that a canary, one of the most beautiful singing birds, can very suddenly stop singing. And there's often, there's often a reason when you look at it, it can be the cage is so too small, it's feeling restricted. Some of you can be feeling too restricted in life, can stop your song, or because of illness, and illness can steal away our joy and the canary stops singing. And also molting, when it's losing its feathers, takes a lot, draws a lot of energy, and then the canary stops singing during that time. And uh, canaries are very sensitive, and so are we as believers. And it's because of that that we need to find out what is causing my songs to stop. What is keeping me from praising and from worshiping the Lord Jesus? And I believe that this morning is an important time because we're taking communion, and, and I'm going to put to you in a few moments that communion is one of the ways that we keep our joy in Christ alive, that we rejoice, because this 
is a communion. We call it communion. We call it the Lord's Supper. But essentially, you could call it my salvation meal. Because when we take that, listen, that cup and that bread there is for the man, the woman, the boy or girl who knows Jesus Christ as his Savior, as her Savior. Not for anyone else. Um, you know, it's, it's very common. We experienced it in our church. We'd have a communion service. And straight after the service, what happens? We're busy packing away and all the kids, they know it's communion. And they came running, and of course, my little son, Mike, at the front, and it's to drink the last communions. I used to do it when I was a kid. And of course, they like the sweetness, they like the taste, but there for us as believers, there's a sweetness in that cup. And there is something tasty in that bread, because it's the body, it's the blood of the Lord Jesus. So, David prays, if you look at verse 10, and if you have a pen, and if you want to mark out in your Bible, because I believe those two significant verses um, are in verse 10 and verse 12. And he says in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This is David's prayer. So can you circle a word in your Bible, renew? What does the word renew mean? Means like, you know, when you're on the browsing the web and your page gets stuck, it says page unresponsive, and you go refresh. Okay, make this new again. So, how many of you would like to have your faith renewed? Okay, refreshed. It's through prayer and coming to the Lord. So he prays. He asks the Lord to do that. Now, maybe this morning you didn't realize, hey, this is something I can pray for. This is something that I can ask the Lord to do, to renew myself, a renew it, oh Lord, a right spirit within me. And do you know that we can have a right spirit and a wrong spirit? Do you know that? Now, I could be ministering to you this morning in a right spirit or wrong spirit. The worship could have been in a right spirit or wrong spirit. David could have been leading in a right spirit or wrong spirit. But David was acknowledging I was doing this in a wrong spirit. And so, Lord, remember, you can do the right things the wrong way. Amen? We can do the right things the wrong way. And so he says, renew a right spirit, a right, what do you say in Afrikaans? Hoden. Okay, put a right heart in me. Let me do this the right way. And then verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Okay, circle the word there, restore. It's like similar to refresh or renew. And so these are important words for us as we get close to the end of the year and as we take communion. Refresh, renew, restore. Are those good words for you this morning? And these are what we bring to the Lord in prayer to Him. So, this morning, as we prepare our hearts, as we break bread together and take communion, we're going to be praying those three words, renew, refresh, restore. And I believe that there are some here that at some point in this life, or maybe even going further back than this year, you've lost a measure of your salvation joy. 
And we want to stand together as the family of God and we want to pray, Lord, renew, refresh, restore. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So, who prays this prayer? Create in me a clean heart. Renew the steadfast spirit within me. Don't take your Holy Spirit away from me, it says in verse 11. It's only the man or the woman who knows their Savior, who has been saved. You can't ask God to do something, creating me a clean heart, a renew, if it hasn't been made new already. Renew is to make it new again. And so, I urge you this morning, if you hear, and this prayer of David, it's for the person who has surrendered their life to Jesus. And this afternoon, as we go off and we're going to have those baptisms, you could be one of them if you haven't been baptized and accepted Jesus Christ into your life by faith. Because this is what David is getting at, is I want to experience that salvation joy. If you're here and you're not saved this morning, I'm talking about the joy of your salvation. You're going, what's that? Some of you who maybe grew up going to church and never experienced, you experienced religion, but you didn't experience salvation. There's a big difference. And so salvation is something that comes with joy. It comes with the Holy Spirit. It comes with knowing that your sins have been forgiven. I want to turn you to that event when Jesus broke bread with his disciples in Luke chapter 22. Won't you turn there? Luke 22. And it's telling us about this event the night before Jesus was crucified. He broke bread with his disciples. Now, I want to say this, and I think it's something very important, is that this table here is a table of celebration. It's a table of joy. Now, Jesus could have just sat at that table if he was like me or you, knowing he was going to die the next day, and he could have just went, <gasps> and wept and wept and wept, but he didn't. The Bible said that he sung a song. He sang a hymn with his disciples. He worshiped. He gave thanks. The Bible speaks of Jesus going across, and it says, for the joy that was set before him. He went to the cross. And so we've got to realize that there is a joy in just coming to this table, knowing that somebody 2,000 years ago dealt with your sin and with my sin. He put it away. He carried it. He bore it. And so we can enjoy that. And so as Jesus was coming out, it says the feast of unleavened bread drew near which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. And then Satan entered Judah, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered with the twelve. So he went his way, and he conferred with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. And then they came to the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. And he said to them, where do you want us to prepare? 
Jesus said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water, a bucket of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. And then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And then he will show you a large furnished upper room. And what are the next words? There, make ready. And so they went and they found it just as he had said to them. And they prepared the Passover. So here's the point. Is just the way that Jesus sent his disciples to go and prepare the place so that Jesus could come in there, that he could minister to them. In the same way, you and I need to prepare a place in our hearts for Jesus to minister to us. When we break bread, we take communion, it's never just a mindless thing. It's never something that we just do out of road, out of tradition. But every time we take communion, it should be like an intimate moment like we would have with our marriage partner. It should be close, warm, intimate. And so prepare a place, make it nice. And so is there a nice place in your heart this morning for Jesus to work and to come and renew and refresh and restore your joy to you? That's what he desires of us. And so they did it. And then when the hour had come, verse 14, Jesus sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And Jesus says these words. I love it. It's only in Luke. But Jesus says, with fervent desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. With fervent desire, I have desired. Twice he uses the word desire, desired. Double desire. I want to have this moment with you. How's your heart this morning? Is there a desire in your heart for the Lord Jesus? Because Jesus is saying, Weinberg Church, I'm passionately desiring this morning for you to take this supper. I'm passionate about this. And he wants us to be as well. With fervent desire, I've desired to eat this Passover. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took the cup and gave thanks, and he said, take, eat, take, and divide this among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he also took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And so, here is the Lord Jesus creating, because remember, this was the Passover, a Jewish festival that looked back to Egypt and the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And what Jesus is doing is he's flipping this and he's putting a whole new meaning into this event. And he's bringing out just two things. Now, when you think about this communion meal, it's essentially just a two-part meal. It's the bread and it's the cup. And Jesus is highlighting these and he's showing them, like, you know, when you guys took the Passover, 
They, you were celebrating your deliverance out of Egypt. Now, to, from this day on, we're celebrating our deliverance from sin. We're celebrating not getting out of Pharaoh's domain, but getting out of Satan's grip. We're being set free. We're a new people group coming out and on our way into the promised land. And you see, Jesus gave it new meaning. Now, the typical recipe for a Passover bread, remember it was called unleavened bread, that was, would be like two cups of flour, one cup of water, tablespoon or two of oil, and a little bit, pinch of salt. Mixed together, the important thing is that there's no yeast in it at all. And you see, that was significant, unleavened, no leaven in it. Because in the Bible, yeast is always a picture of sin. And so it speaks of yeast, leaven, passing through a body. It's a picture of fermentation. It's a picture of sin. And Jesus had no sin in him. And so for that bread to symbolize Jesus, it cannot have yeast in it. Because Jesus had no sin. And so this morning, when you are taking that bread, it's got no leaven, no yeast in it. At least I hope it doesn't. When you're taking that, you're realizing that God sent his son, just like us, into this world. But that body was never, never, never defiled by sin. And if it was, Jesus would have died on the cross for his own sin. But the fact that it wasn't enabled him to die for us all. That all of our sins were heaped upon him. That Jesus' body was broken for us. And then the wine, the cup, remember that symbolizes for us. The, it's the juice that comes out of the grape. It's the crushing. It's the squeezing. And you know, when you read in the book of Revelation, you read of God's judgment. It's portrayed for us like servants, slaves that are standing on a wine press and they with their feet are crushing the grapes. And it speaks of the wine press of God's wrath. And when we take communion, we are remembering that that future day when God is going to come back and Jesus is going to judge the world, he's going to tread the wine press. And it, in other scriptures speaks of his white garments getting stained with blood. Is that day of reckoning, that day of judgment, I have been delivered from that too. So not only in the past of sin, I've been delivered from the future of judgment. And so as often as you eat and drink this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Awesome, isn't it? Now, I want you to note quickly that um, when we take communion, you're taking essentially food. And how does food work in us? This is a spiritual meal. But I want you to realize that when we take food, that food does three things for us. Number one, food nourishes us. Number two, it nurses us. Number three, it knits us. How so? Well, if you think of the nourishment, you just think of whenever you eat and you are just loading your body with proteins, with carbs, vitamins. Um, and, and so it's, as you eat, you are eating strength into your body. And so when we take communion, not our physical bodies, but our spiritual bodies are being strengthened by taking, you are being nourished as we take that. 
Secondly, it nurses us. You know, we all have times when we get ill, when we get sick. And so, take food. Paul advised Timothy, take a little bit of wine for your stomach, for your frequent sicknesses. In the same way that this wine is something that brings health into us. It nurses us. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you feel that point is for you. You just need to be nursed this morning. Your spiritual life feels wounded. You're hurting. And the Lord says, I I want you to come to my table this morning because I'm going to nurse you. I'm going to nurse your soul. I'm going to nurse your spirit. And then thirdly, I'm nearly finished here. Food knits us. Food knits us. How does food knit us? How many of you guys enjoy having coffee together? Okay. Uh, you, you know, when we have a coffee together, assuming that I've got nothing that I want to, this is the Lord for you. Okay. But I just want to hang out. I want to get to know you better. It's just, there's, it's relaxing. Food just makes things pleasant. And we connect well. You know, years ago, um, God gave Corin and myself a very specific word. We had been part of a church group um, in, well, was based in the States, and, and uh, we were doing a lot of ministry with them. And God gave us, in, going back in 2016, a very specific word, 2017, sorry, and that we were to come out. God gave me that Abram word, go out from your people, and, and that God had something new for us. Now, at that time, I didn't see Josh Jen in the future, but I, I, I knew without a doubt that we had to leave this group. And boy, was that the hardest thing we ever did. And um, I, I was, at that time, we were putting a lot of prayer into that, because to leave it, and I, I, I was, we were traveling back and forth to the States a lot. We were doing ministry in Europe and in Africa. And so to pull out of that thing was exceptionally hard. But we just knew it was what Jesus wanted. And um, I can remember when we brought it to our leadership, they didn't feel the same thing. Um, And later on to the church, and it almost created like a bit of a dividing line where people saying, Yes, we want to come out, we want to go forward, and other people saying, no, we want to stay right where we are. And fortunately, you had Andrew, and I was chatting to him, and we were going back and forward and, and getting a lot of encouragement and stuff. But to make that move was so hard. And what happened in our main church in Cape Town is, is it just, it was almost like this fire went out. And the enemy was just like, I want to attack this because... You know, the enemy never wants us to move forward with the Lord. And, um, and we started having like murmuring and this bleed started and it was just hectic. And at that time, God spoke to me and he said, start doing communion every Sunday. And what we did, because you know that scripture says where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst. And so we, our church met much like this. We were in a school, and we had the center aisle, and I took the table, and I put it right in the middle, and I said, guys, today we're breaking bread. And 
I said, let's come together. But first, the Bible says we must confess sin in our hearts. If you're talking against anyone, you're talking against the leadership, you're talking against your friends, those that are moving forward, and how the Lord dealt with that. The following Sunday, the same thing. The next Sunday, and we just kept taking communion every single Sunday. You know, I dealt with those problems. They vanished. Some people vanished. <laughs> we call them in ministry blessed subtractions. But you know, there is something in that communion that really bonds, that knits us together, unites our hearts together. It's so important. As a family, we often take communion together in our home. Um, and especially when we're dealing with something difficult, we'll take communion together. When we've had needs, where there's been sickness, you know, earlier on in the year, in about June and July, we just, you know, our house almost became this house of sickness. We, we had this flu, I don't know if it was COVID or not, but it just kept coming back and coming back, and then one person would get sick and get better, and then the next one would get it, and it just felt like this thing was cycling. I remember just getting together in our lunch and break bread together, and Lord, just pray. You supplied this for our sins, but it says you carried our infirmities also. Lord, just set us free of this. And the Lord did. And folk, as we, as we close out this morning, I want to um, just really encourage you. You know, when we take communion, we are holding up two things. Upholding. The bread the body, symbol of the body of the Lord Jesus. And so, is the bread the body? No, it's not. But it's symbolic of the truth of the body. What the body of Jesus does for me is that he took your punishment. His body was punished so that your body wouldn't be punished. And the second thing is you uphold the cup. Now, the truth of the cup is Jesus said, this blood is the blood of the new covenant. What does it do for you? It takes away sins, not by your effort, but by his effort. And when Jesus said, tetelestai, paid in full, what it means is that there's no more sacrifice needed because Jesus paid it all. And so Jesus says these words. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat. And I want to encourage you as you come forward, and there's a table over there. As you come forward, and um, Colin, you got your guitar. Might be a nice moment just to kind of lead our hearts into this. And to think of Jesus saying, take, eat, all of you. That he's inviting everyone who's one of his children, to come forward and to receive. Now, you pick it up, but Jesus was holding it out. Take it, all of you. This is my body broken for you. In other words, that at the table, that there is a giver and there is a receiver. You are the receiver. Jesus is the giver. And you know, in this moment, as we take communion, there's a special bond of intimacy that is growing and being developed and being nurtured. It, it kind of reminds me when Corin was, we've got four kids, and Corin would breastfeed them. And I can remember one night 
Shala will probably not like me for telling you this. But Karen was there in the room and she was breastfeeding Shiloh and Shiloh was just a couple of months old and there and she loved that Karen would wrap a little blanket around and she'd be warm and snuggle with Karen. She loved that. And one night Karen called me. She just had a little light on in the room and she called me. She said, Dee, come here, come here. She said, I was busy feeding Shiloh, and Shiloh smiled for the first time. Now, Shiloh is about this big. And I came in, and I looked, and Shiloh is just like. And then as she did that, Shiloh threw her head back, and she just let off this huge smile. And she'd look into Corin's eyes, and there was this connection between mother and daughter. It was such a beautiful moment. I've never, never forgotten that. But you see, as we take communion, think of the Lord Jesus himself, that the Bible speaks of John right at the side of Jesus. This is you connecting with your Savior. It's a moment of sweet intimacy. Folk, never, ever take communion mindlessly. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. 